You are tuning in to the Game Sports Show, powered by the Game Entertainment and Media, or known as GEM. This is the Little Caesars Pizza Special Edition Upload. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, where there are three locations within the community and many more locations nationwide. Little Caesars Pizza is the largest carryout pizza chain internationally. Convenient, delicious, and cost-effective is a brief yet simple way to describe Little Caesars Pizza. You can order online through their user-friendly online pizza portal. Why wait any longer? Get on those phones, download the app, or get on your computer and make that order right now. The Game Sports Show and Jim. Thanks, Little Caesars Pizza, in particular Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario for its support. The Game Sports Show is heard on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, and Podtail podcast platform, as well as thegamesportshow.com. You can make thegamesportshow.com a part of your homepage on your mobile device by simply clicking the link and pasting it to your homepage. Also, you can follow The Game Sports Show on Facebook and Instagram, which is tagged at The Game Sports Show. Now that you're settled in, let's get into another edition of TGSS. Booyah, and it's time for The Game Sports Show special edition upload, powered by The Game Entertainment and Media and Little Caesars Pizza. Little Caesars Pizza in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Getting to our special edition co-host here for tonight's upload. You all know who he is by now. An example of speed, also a pure example on how to take clappers from the high circle. Burned down the boards, not afraid to get his hands dirty, and known as the Hockey Bruce Lee, as heard from multiple guests on the show. Former professional hockey player with over 1,000 games and hockey analyst here on GEM, Brendan Brooks. Brooksy, how's it going, pal? It's going good, man. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to the episode today, so uh, let's have at her. Let's do it. Now let's get to our special edition guest. Always taking a breath because I like giving the introductions to our well, uh, highly you know known guests, of course. He is a former third-round pick, 63rd overall in 1994 NHL entry draft to the New York Islanders throughout his career. He's a two-time Memorial Cup champion and two-time WHL champion. Played 674 games in the National Hockey League for the Islanders, Canucks, Rangers, and his hometown Oilers. He played over 900 total professional hockey-level games between the NHL, AHL and overseas within the 674 games in the NHL he notched 55 points and over 800 penalty minutes and now retired he's taken his involvement to hockey off the ice in an area many would know him in the world of media in particular in TSN TSN Edmonton 1260 with Jason Gregor a true hard-nosed tough to play against D-man Jason Strudwick Struds how's it going man I'm good boys thanks for having me on of course we're very happy that you are you know I answered my cable guy message to you on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know oh, funny, yeah, he's dangerous. He's yeah, dangerous. You know, I, I never had social media when I played. You know, I wasn't on Facebook or anything or Twitter or anything. And then I joined up and now I get like, I, I don't really, I didn't understand it. At first, you get random, you know, texts or whatever, DMs from people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, sure, let's chat. You know, I, 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 I meet people I connected with over the years. It's been, I guess I was missing out when I was playing. No, you know what? The world of social media, everyone's able to connect. And it's it's awesome, especially in the world of media in general for individuals like myself, Brooksy, and also you yourself being a media. You can see what everyone is doing. Everyone can connect that way. It's it's so much different than the way it used to be before. But of course, you know, obviously, I still get a shy side where I message people. I don't want to seem like that individual. But you know what? Over our course of broadcasts, I've cable guide quite a number of individuals that have become guests. And they all have had good experiences, as far as I know. So I was happy to uh, have you were able to respond, and you actually read the message and uh, went through with our recording. <laughs> now, oh, yeah. getting, getting right to it, all right, and we're going to go all over the place here with this discussion because I know there's a lot that you can get to, but I 
really want to go off something first that I searched you on Google. One thing that I do with guests, I like to see on Google something comes up funny. Maybe there's a funny story or something right off the hop. But you know what I liked right off right off the hop I want to mention is I looked you up on Google and the nickname that they provided you on Google. I'm sure you know what it is, but just in case you may not know and listeners may not know, it's Jason Studwig. It's, they call you the stud, if you will. Is yeah. that your name as a player or is that your main title now or what? <laughs> no, I think that – well, definitely not anymore. I have three kids <laughs> and uh, so life has changed quite a bit. But you know what? It's it's funny. I was talking about some of this today. Like nicknames, they, they kind of come and go a little bit. You know, I think of Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars and he, you know, he said he hadn't heard that name for a long time. And, you know, they, they, I had a lot – I think that Night Train, the, state, the, the, the name that stayed the longest for me was maybe Night Train. I earned that when I was younger, and um, you know, I was I was um, pretty. I enjoyed uh, the nighttime activities. Uh, you know, I worked hard during the days, but then I had, I you know, I was single and I didn't have many attachments, so I was able to do what I wanted. And then another one, they called me the String Bean. Actually, Shane Doan gave me that nickname because in junior I was tall and skinny. Um, I still know <laughs> a little bit after that, but that's that was those are the two nicknames: String Bean and Night Train were the two that that last the longest, like Obi Wan Kenobi. You know what? The night train one I like. I know Brooks is quite the night train himself when he played. <laughs> I, I went out of the and overseas. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think that story was with Gillies. I think you mentioned oh, that. Yeah. You, didn't it, you didn't make it out of the bar, Brooksy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was with uh, my buddy Barn Diesel. Oh, that's Scott right. Barney. That's right. That's what yeah. I yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, he's six foot four. I shouldn't have been drinking with him, that's for sure. Yeah, you don't have a chance against a big guy like that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So, they. But, uh, well, first of all, I want to, you know, before we get into your amazing hockey career, I, I want to talk about, you know, how you got involved in broadcasting and, you know, how yeah. did this all start and come about, you know, with TSN? Yeah. yeah, so when I was playing for the Blackhawks, I broke my hand. And um, at the time, Dale Talon was doing the color for both radio and TV. Oh. Um, so I broke my hand and like, you know, two days later, uh, Dale Talon is put in the position of assistant GM. So he goes from color guy to assistant GM of that team. So they had no one to fill my spot. So the uh, the GM and the owner came down and asked me if I would do it, the color while I was injured. I'm like, yeah, you know, why not? So I, I, I took that role on. I think I did two or three games. And uh, Pat Foley was the guy who was doing it. I, I think he's still doing it now. And afterwards, he said, honestly, Strata, you're really good at this. I'm like, no, you don't have to say it. I was like, honestly, you could, you, you're good at media. You can tell stories and you have insight and you're not shy. So um, – Sure enough, so it was always in the back of my head after that. And then when I came back to play for Edmonton, you know, I was from here and I'd be here in the summer, so I would do a lot of events as far as, you know, golf tournaments and stuff. And I met a lot of the, uh, the media guys, and one was Jason Greger. So when I was done playing, he said, you know, why don't you just come and just join my show on Fridays for a couple of hours and, you know, and just kind of be a part of it. And I, and I, it went, I enjoyed it. He, you know, he liked it. And then uh, at the end of that time, uh, let's say it was like middle of August, uh, the, the general manager of the station, TSN here, he took me out for lunch and uh, along with kind of another guy there. And they're like, you know, would you want to be in the media? And I said, yeah, sure. You know what? I'd, I'd, I'd love to. He says, well, let, you know, to make a long story short, let's just see how it goes. And, um, you know, why don't you jump in and help out a bit here? And then we'll, we'll, maybe we'll try to find something more permanent. I said, okay. So about two weeks later, I got a call. And I got to come in and talk to him again. And like, well, we want to give you, um, you know, a permanent role here. I'm like, great. So I was thinking maybe like an hour with someone at make 12 to 1, you know, like helping someone. And then like, uh, we're going to give you your own show. I'm like, okay, that's pretty crazy. I was thinking maybe <laughs> an hour. They're like, we're going to give you three hours every night from 9 to midnight. 
And I'm like, what? I said, you know I don't do anything. He's like, no, we know that. Don't worry, we, we know that. But we think you can do it. So they're like, well, we're going to give you a really good producer. And he ended up being a really good producer. But this guy had six months experience. He was just out of school. So it was me, <laughs> I did nothing. And a guy with six months experience. And you know what? I ought to say that was some of my favorite times of uh, being in the media because we, I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, my, my buddy didn't know much more. But we just tried things. And we just we had fun. And like, you know, I'd go off on tangents about stories or something that happened to me that day. And um, it was so much fun. And I, I still today I get people saying, we miss your nighttime show because, you know, we never knew what you're going to talk about. And it was so random. And I'm like, yeah, it's because, you know, you didn't have, you know, not a lot of people listen from nine to 12, but um, it was a great place to learn and, and to, to become. So that's kind of my journey through that. And then I went, did a bit of TV and then I, I'm now back on the radio full time. I really enjoy the radio. I love the freedom. Um, like we're having a conversation right now. It's, it's fantastic. But when you're doing TV, you have like two minutes. And I always felt it was kind of limiting to, to have an interview with someone in two minutes. Oh, it, it's not enough time. Like, honestly, and with having that TV side experience as well, when you think, all right, you got 10 minutes. If you get 10 minutes with somebody, like, okay, that's more than sometimes yeah. usual. That 10 minutes flies by. You're opening up. You you start talking, and they get into something, and you have multiple topics you want to get to. If the guest gets into something that's more uh, that takes up more minutes, that shoots your entire plans. But you got the producer in your ear telling you, all right, no pause, try to jump to the next thing. Sometimes I wanted to go to the ear of the producer and be like, be quiet, because I'm not going to cut off our guest, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, this is like right now. It's like, oh, thanks for coming on today, Jason, because our right. time is up. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to ask any of your questions. That's that's the hard <laughs> yeah. part. Uh, Jane Goodall on, Dr. Jane Goodall. Like, she's an amazing guest. And she's like, you have five minutes. I'm like, five minutes? This lady's a legend. I'm like, I'm not doing five minutes, and we're going to do longer. So we got longer, but still, like, it was – I want to talk to her for days, not just five minutes. No. Yeah. No, and it's never – that's a big thing about the broadcasting and podcasting, right? You have you, – if you, especially if you have unlimited time, which we don't really follow a big time limit on our show, especially with our specialist uploads, which is awesome because we get to have the full experience with you and go into full detail about everything you do. But with working with TSN, which is obviously you know TSN, and here we're based in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. So obviously with myself and Brooksy being in Ontario, uh, TSN especially is big, especially with the 1050 and uh, the Toronto side of sports in particular. So we want to tune in to the Edmonton side. Uh, we have to go online, and that is available. And I actually tuned in uh, in some other shows with you and Jason, and you obviously do a great job with that. And I know Jason does a great job with that as with TSN 12. 60 with uh, is i believe the correct station right yeah tsn 1260 yeah 1260 so that's why like you know being on the radio it's awesome seeing everything on television and seeing everybody together and their expressions getting put on the spot but there's nothing like being able to sit down and just talk to someone on a on a typical radio show or broadcast yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. it's it's a different vibe so you know every, everyone's got their fit in their niche right now i feel really comfortable in the radio um, I'd like to get back into the TV at some point. Maybe you know, if, if there's a different fit, then maybe interviewing. Uh, you know, and, but but for right now, with I've really I've pretty young family, um, a wife who's busy with her own business. So I'm I'm it's my turn to kind of sit back and let everyone else have their life. I had a pretty good life for a while, so now it's changed up a bit. <laughs> changed up. Now, obviously, we mentioned where they can listen to you. Obviously, you, do you guys have social media in particular with your show? Though I know you and I are just freshly getting connected, but do you have a particular social media following with just your show in particular, or do you guys use your own personal social medias for that? 
Mostly our own personals. You know, we have, um, you know, there's TSN, at TSN 1260 on Twitter. We have that. And then, I mean, my own personal one is Jason underscore Strudwick. Not very exciting, but, um, <laughs> you know, every, everyone I find now, it's, you know, the, the social media, you have to be a part of it and, and try to let people know what, what you're doing and who you're talking to um, to try to get people to tune in because there's so many options now, right? Yeah, there's so many ways. There's obviously Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, and if you're you have your information on your podcast or your website, if you show us a website, there's an email way to get a hold of you. Uh, I know I hear a lot of mixed feedback with Twitter and Instagram saying that Instagram's more way to get a hold of somebody, but I disagree because this is coming from the cable guy extraordinaire over here. You yeah, exactly. Face, Facebook's the way to go for you. Yeah, Facebook. <laughs> I love Facebook with Jason. In addition to broadcasting, is there another side – of you outside or even inside of hockey from a hockey entrepreneurship perspective. Like, like honestly, what I've looking up you on the internet, I know there's some other podcasts that you've done uh, outside of broadcasting. There's something else that you do in the world of hockey, or is it just in the, in the world of radio and broadcasting? Yep. So, you know, when I, when I played, I never thought I'd be a coach, you know, like I thought I'd coach my own kids, but um, right when I retired, I actually, um, a friend of mine, he, he said, you know, would you ever work with my kids? They're all D-men. So I said, sure. So we started getting nice before school and I started going out with these guys, I think twice a week for, you know, four or five months. And I don't, I don't know if they got better or worse, but one of them actually got drafted to NHL. So maybe I had a small part in it, but they were pretty young when I was working with them. Um, but we, you know, we, I, I started like, this is actually pretty enjoyable. And you realize that, you know, coaching specifically defenseman isn't easy. It's a hard position to learn. And, you know, I'm not talking about scoring goals and looking like, you know, Tyson Berry. I'm talking about just playing right position and stick position, all that stuff. So, I started my own hockey school. And I think I've been running it now for seven or eight years. And um, I do a, a small one in the spring. And I have a couple of weeks in the summer. I run my the Jason Stratwood D-Man camp. And, you know, it's not sexy. We don't, you know, I'm not wheeling and dealing and throwing sauce pass around. It's all the basics. I think that, you know, now I coach my own kids who are, are in uh, U9 and U11. And there's not a lot of time to work on this stuff with kids. I think it gets looked over a lot. And so I spent a lot of time with these kids and at all ages kind of working on it. And I've had good feedback and I, I love doing it. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. See, that's a big thing. I love the words you just use there. You love doing it and giving back. You know what? There's obviously been some good hockey players that came out of the Sault Ste. Marie and like Ron Francis, Marty Turco, just naming a couple. Sure. And, and, you know, obviously having some guests on the show that are giving back to the game in a, in a specific way, like Rob Shrimp. You know, there's a guy with 44 Vision Hockey, his virtual platform that he's doing. It's good to see individuals like yourself who ha- have that public figure and just a, that eye with society where you, you're, you're willing to give back. And I'm not putting anyone down who doesn't give back. That's not what I'm doing at all, uh, because obviously when you're done playing, you have different niches that you want to get into. But being able to provide and give back, that's so rewarding, right? You have all the talent. The game has given you so much. It's almost fair to give back to it in a certain perspective. Yeah, you know, it is. And I, I know the, the game of hockey has given me so much. And I, I expected so little from hockey. Like when I was growing up, I was not a, a great, you know, I wasn't a dominant. I, I, I was good, but I wasn't like out of this world good, NHL good. Um, I know, and I, and I, my journey kind of started when I was 18 to really get serious. And even now at 45, I still have opportunities to do things that are amazing that I, I would never be doing if it wasn't for hockey. So, you know, to, to, to try to coach kids, to give back a little bit and, and to be involved in it, I, I, it's, I'm very lucky. Like it is, it's amazing. This is, you know, I'm coming up on 30 years in, in, in serious hockey world and I've been very lucky. No, definitely. You know, and everyone's got a great hockey story from their youth or where they've been, and it's all from all corners of the globe, which is why hockey is such a great global sport. Now, I want to re- 
that were winding to you playing and you you were able to win two Memorial Cup championships along with obviously two WHL championships but even before that okay the minor hockey league days where I want to go to because I'm really interested in Edmonton in particular you were born in Edmonton Alberta and I kind of want you to talk about your minor hockey days in Edmonton Uh, like when you were there and in your younger days you had the privilege of watching the expansion into the NHL in Edmonton which featured Wayne Gretzky Uh, people obviously know who Wayne Gretzky is I don't have to jump into who Wayne Gretzky is obviously the greatest of all time Uh, how was it for youth hockey in comparison of then until now and also the Gretzky effect in Edmonton and the surrounding communities yeah I mean, everyone wanted to play hockey because Oilers were playing. Like, you know, you, you're running down the street playing street hockey. You weren't saying you were like Al McInnes from the Flames. You know, you were I, – I love Mark Messi. That was my guy. And I always talked about about, about Mess and being like him or Paul Coffey or all these guys. Um, so I just – I played hockey. You know, I had no expectations when I was younger. And my, my, my family, I would say we were very kind of hockey naive. Um, you know, my dad was actually a good athlete. He played university football. And he was actually drafted by the Lions – BC oh. line, but he he chose uh, you know a, a different life, um, and uh, so he didn't follow through. So he you know he knew athleticism. I probably I got it from him. So playing hockey, I just played because my buddies played. You know we we played together. Um, you know come end of March or even earlier, we maybe play a tournament in Calgary at the end of March and it'd be done. You know and uh, there was no spring hockey. I, I tried out for one team I think in Pee Wee, and uh, my dad said, "Do you want to try for this team?" I'm like, "Sure." I, I didn't even know what it was. I went. Um, I got cut after the first practice, and, and then my dad walked out. He's like, "How did it go?" I said, like, "I don't know how did it go." He's like, "Well, you got cut." I'm like, "Okay." And we just went home, and I just started golfing. Like it was like we had no idea what was going on, um, but I played because I loved it. And um, you know, I played for a group, the KCs. We weren't the best organization, especially in Bantam and Midget. Um, but I always kind of wherever I went, I did well. Like I, you know, I, I'd always kind of play up or or whatever. I was decent, uh, big, and could skate. Um, but I just loved playing. I just loved competing. You know, I'd go home and I'd shoot pucks or I'd play, like I said, street hockey for hours with my buddies. Um, but my other love was basketball. So while I was playing hockey, I was lucky that I was able to play, you know, basketball in junior high with the school and in high school. And I think that had a huge impact in my athleticism. You know, I was um, and seeing, you know, seeing plays, you know, you you, you play hockey and it's, it's great. And, but you, you kind of get you don't learn anything new, you know, as far as um, skills, because you work on the same skills all the time. But with basketball, your head's up. I was the point guard, actually, um, j- definitely in junior high, then a little bit in high school. Then I then they moved me to uh, more like a Dennis Rodman role. But um, I loved it, and I and I became a better player. So I'd go to school in the morning, uh, or for sorry, I'd go to school all day, and then I'd have a basketball practice or game from like four to six. Then my dad would pick me up and go to a hockey game from like seven to nine or whatever, nine to ten, whatever time it was. Then I'd get the next morning, do it again. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of social life, but I, I mean, I wasn't really, I didn't feel like I was missing out anything because everything I did was with my buddies, either my best buddies from school or my best buddies from hockey. So I, I, I had the best, like the growing up in Edmonton and the way it worked out was the best, the best upbringing for, for me. It was, it was, I was so lucky. Definitely. Now, yeah. you know what, like Edmonton and I'll just, sorry, Brooksy is like with Edmonton, it's not, mm-hmm. That effect is just huge, and it's obviously a hockey market, which everywhere is here in Canada. But Brooksy, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say because he brought up Mark Messier, and you know, I was fortunate enough. I actually had Messier as a coach at the Spangler Cup with uh, oh, Team wow. Canada there, and you know what? What a because you know I looked up to him as a kid as well, and just uh, you know the way he played, how he played tough. And to actually like, get a chance to talk to him and get to know him, and uh, he's actually such a humble guy. 
And, uh, you know, when he came in, it was like the first big opportunity he had as a coach. And he kind of came in the room and he was like, you know, I, uh, this is new to me. And, you know, I'm open to ears. You know, I'm not used to the European game. And, uh, you know, because you're playing on that bigger ice. And he played in the small NHL rinks his whole career, mostly. And, uh, you know, it was just it was pretty amazing just to have a guy come in. Uh, like that and be open to you know what we had to say about things and it, it was such a great experience for me to get to know this guy oh he's amazing i actually got to play with him in vancouver this guy was he treated me so well like uh, uh he was he'd have me over for dinner to his house i'm like are you kidding me like you want me to ha- come over i was so nervous i remember i was just like <laughs> Like I was, I've never been nervous. It was like a first date. With yeah. like a, and um, then he, you know, the way he talked to me and, and just asked me how I was doing and genuinely interested, right? His parents were the same, his brother, like sister, always the same. And so I, I see him, um, you know, every now and then here in Edmonton, but he, you know, after when I was done playing, I wrote a letter to everyone I thought uh, in, impacted my, my, um, my career, right? So coaches and, and my agent, um, you know, uh, my cousins, they played in the NHL, so I wrote them what I thought, how they, just people I thought I wanted to, and Mark Messier was on the list. So anyways, I sent him this letter, and I, and I wasn't expecting anyone to, to get back to me. I just wanted people to know how I felt. So anyways, I sent it off to all these people, and, you know, many people, most everyone called me or emailed me and just said, you know, this is, you know, whatever, really, whatever they want to say. But I didn't hear from Messier, and I was fine with it. I just, I wanted him to know. So anyways, about, you know, a few years after that, I run into him at, at a game at the order, at the rink. He's like, Strutty, I got to tell you something. I owe you an apology. I'm like, why? He's like, well, actually, I, I got your, I, I thought your letter, my, my, my people thought your letter was fan mail. And then they open it up one day and they're like, uh, this is not fan mail. It's from your teammate. And um, you should just call me. I'm like, well, I didn't want to call. So I sent an email. I said this thing. And he's like, you know, I've actually used that um, with the order's organization to tell people like that's the impact we want to have as as players organization because I said you know you made me you know I felt like I was a better person after being around you and I learned a lot from you and I try to pass it on to the next generation and he's like that meant so much he goes I'd never got a letter like that in my whole life then I was like oh my god I was almost in tears like this is my idol telling me this right so it was uh, it was pretty special and uh, he he is a really special human being so even speaking of that, like obviously you got to play with them and obviously your connection uh, in in the world of world of hockey, it's like you must have went to NHL games as a as a kid. Or did you get the opportunity to watch Gretzky and Mess in the 80s? Did you get a chance to watch many Oiler games and see them in action? Oh yeah, we went. You know, we would go to a game or two a, a year. You know, like it was. Um, you know, we'd get tickets from friends, or we, but it was hard to get tickets, right? Like the Oilers were pretty good at that point. So we we you know every now and then we get tickets. And then, you know, years later to be able to play with or against these guys and now to call, you know, many of them friends is just mind blowing still, you know, like I, it is, you know, I never growing up, my dream wasn't playing the NHL. I actually wanted to be an accountant. Uh, that was kind of my goal. I, my, my uncle or my cousin was a, an accountant. It looked like a good, good job. So I'm like, I can, I'm pretty good with math. I could probably do that. Um, and then I, like, I never thought, like, I wasn't that kid that dreamt of playing the NHL. Like I thought it'd be cool, but I never, it wasn't my dream uh, or my goal until it kind of happened. Wow. See, and that's wicked. And then you got the opportunity, like you just said, to not only watch and idolize them, but got to play with them and a lot of legends that you did get to play with. And just the Messier story and 
that's that's hilarious with the letter. But when you just said you wanted to be an accountant, I'm not going to lie. I kind of thought of that TikTok that just came in my head where it says when someone asks you to do for work, so you don't start a conversation with them, say you want to be an accountant. Uh, I don't know if you saw that TikTok. It's absolutely hilarious. I don't even know if you have TikTok. I don't. I just saw it on the internet one time and it was hilarious. Uh, so – with speaking with the Oilers, now obviously we mentioned the glory days in the 80s, loads of cups in the 80s, just on top of the hockey hockey world. And obviously with the top hockey player, if not players in the world, with Gretzky, Mess, Curry, etc. I'm curious about your comments, though, jumping ahead about the Oilers today. Now, I'm not too sure how much you'd want to jump into, but the amount of overall, first overall pick story they've had in the past decade, the changes now with yet another generational talent, somebody named Connor McDavid. It's He's obviously really good at hockey. Uh, obviously, we call him here locally McJesus is actually what we call him, uh, especially. <laughs> Talent uh, and the likes of Leon Dreisaitl as well. Uh, how do you feel about the direction of the Oilers today? Because there must, there was a lot of pain since when they lost in the Stanley Cup Finals to the Ducks, right? And then, uh, then they end up having after that a long dread of playoff droughts. And then now, when they did get back in the playoffs, just a few years uh, back, and then going into this year with the COVID playoffs, if you will, it's been quite a painful time for Oilers fans. Yeah, you know, and I, I've actually been really bullish on this team, and, I, and I'll tell you why. When I my first training camp, I remember I, I, I went, um, you know, it's a number of years now. It's like 10, 12, something like that, years ago. And I remember, you know, I, I when I got, you know, as I got older, I kind of recognized you had to keep an eye on what was coming up the pipe. So, you know, you go and you have, you know, at that time we had Jordan Iberly, but he was, he was, I think he was going back to junior that year. Um, and then that, after that, there was nobody. Like, I didn't see any young players coming up that were going to help us. And I remember thinking, okay, that's that's not ideal. I just left the New York Rangers where we had guys like Mark Stahl, uh, Callahan. You know, Lundqvist was, you know, a couple of years into his career. But a lot of young players, there, uh, Dubinsky, Brandon Dubinsky, a lot of guys that were coming up, they were going to be, a, you know, a, the core. They, would, they were the core of that team for, you know, maybe close to a decade, right? A long time. And that is huge, huge thing. So if the Oilers, you know, they they had, you know, Sean Horkoff homemade, Al Shemsky homemade, but they traded for, Cole, uh, you know, uh, Cole. They were trading for a lot of people to try to fill the holes. And, you know, I, I after I was done playing, I got into the media. And, you know, same thing. There were very few homegrown players. You know, they, they the one they had is now um, with, um, oh, what's his name? The right shot defenseman in Montreal, not Shea Weber, but, oh, Jeff Petrie. Jeff Petrie. So Jeff Petrie was there and they traded him away. I mean, you've, you've got to have your own talent bubbling up. And, 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 you know, it's great that you get the first overall picks. And I think that, you know, getting Taylor Hall and Nugent Hopkins and all these guys is great. But those guys can't do it on their own. This isn't basketball. You need to backfill with talent. And you can't just go always out and trade for it and, and, and uh, sign it. So when I look at the loaders now, you know, last year Yamamoto came in, later, later first-round pick. They've got Ethan Bear. He just came up. Another good defenseman. Last year had a really big impact on the team. Caleb Jones will have a big impact on the team. Um, I look at some of the, the players coming. Raphael Lavoie, killing it in Europe. Philip Broberg, killing it in Europe. Evan Bouchard, killing it in Europe. Um, Ryan McLeod, another guy is going to play. You know, they have so many young players coming up. Sir Morikov, uh, defenseman, playing in Russia. They have so many young players that I'm not saying they're all going to play, but some of them are going to play. And that's a big improvement on what they had before. So, yeah, it's, it's great to get the first round picks. And, and those aren't hard, though. You walk up to the podium, we'll take Taylor Hall. Okay, if you take Tyler Sagan, you still don't lose. You know, so you, you, you it, those are, I'm not saying they're easy, but they're, they're a lot easier than finding someone in the fourth round. When you start backfilling with talent in your draft, 
and start hitting it hard and getting these picks right, that's when it helps because now they come through your organization. You're not having to overpay for in trades or in, 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 in free agent deals. So I am actually very bullish on this Oilers team. I don't know that this year their team is poised to really kill it. Um, I think they're going to have a good year. But I look to maybe next year, you know, when when uh, Ken Holland's able to get some of these players in, um, you know, again, move out a little bit, maybe a, another year of, of contracts you maybe don't want. But Dylan Holloway maybe plays their team next year. I'm bullish on this team, and I think that they're they're finally getting where you build from the bottom. You don't just build from the top. Yeah, see, then you just mentioned it there. You had Taylor Hall. You can go up there. You know who you're going to pick, if it's Hall or Sagan. Or uh, in the instance that we just talked about here a lot in, in, in Ontario is obviously Toronto. If you go up there and pick up Matthews first, you know, but it's obviously those later rounds that are most impactful. Yeah to a team right it's like brad marchand and you look at guys like zetterberg datsuk and the, like ken holland and the red wings organization did it perfectly for how long with yeah. late picks and actually kyle dubas obviously susie marini of again obviously gm of the toronto maple leafs is that he also stresses that later picks are what's the biggest part of a draft and it's so true because and you just touched it right there like there was when you were around there coming i think it was your last year that's when hall was just fresh, and you had Sam Gagne, you had Eberle just starting out there, so that nucleus of young talent was starting to come to an extent, but there was no luck, right? That like the the chemistry just wasn't there overall, and then now you have Eberle who's not there, Gagne who's not there, Hall who's not there, and of course now Yakupov who's not even in North America anymore, he's overseas. Uh, But you got a whole new generation of guys with Drysaddle McDavid, so it's a kind of a change. It's been kind of a quick change, but uh, a lot of those first overall picks don't always do uh, justice for organizations. Well, but you also have to remember they're going into a bad team. So, you you're, you know, Taylor Hall, he didn't kill penalties. Their penalty kills sucked. You know, he didn't stop pucks. He wasn't a goalie. So, you know, like, it, it, he's always a defenseman. So he can only do what he can control. It, like, I think we, we look at basketball. You know, you bring in a top pick, usually that guy should have a huge impact on your team, right? 20 points a night, maybe six rebounds, you know, a couple assists, whatever. But in hockey, you can't – you just – you're only playing 20 minutes a night. So even – I think Leon averaged 23 minutes a night last year. So that means that the other, what is that? Whatever the time, 36 minutes, whatever, someone else has to be on the ice as a center. So, yeah, it's great. You have Connor, and Connor plays his 20 minutes. But the rest of the time, someone else has to kill penalties. There, there's a lot of parts to it. And I think for, for the Oilers fans, were, um, they, they were so spoiled with so many great players, but they forget the, the, the guys that are behind them, the Randy Greggs, the Dave Hunters, the Dave Lumleys, um, you know, all these good uh, – Lee Foglins, all these guys that did a great job helping out. Like when Grant Fear got hurt, they put in Andy Moak. Like that's the depth of your team. And until you have depth and have players coming up through your own system, you're never going to work. Look at Tampa Bay. I mean, yeah. they've, they've brought in so many players through, you know, third and fourth round picks and then, you know, trading for Sergeyev, for Drew Like those are wildly moves by Steve Eiserman and now uh, Breezeba. But it takes time. And I think, like I said, I think the Oilers are poised for a good run here in the next three to five years. Because they're gonna like in the, those names I, I I just went through, those guys they'll be on the second, third, and fourth line for the orders, and those guys can skate and they can score, and then this team will be dangerous. Yeah, will be Brooksy. Uh, yeah, no, I just you know that's a great opportunity right now to jump into backtrack here and jump into the Memorial Cup team you had. You know the the amount of talent and leaders that ended up being leaders in the NHL. You know you had Tucker, Luckwich, uh, Donor. 
You know, the team was just uh, Jerome Ginla. Like, these guys are huge names and leaders in the NHL. And, uh, you know, I just wanted you to kind of go back and talk about uh, your championships that you won there in that core of that dressing room. It was amazing. I, I got there and, you know, a lot of, a lot of I think, you know, having a good career in anything is a bit of luck. And uh, I was on the worst team in, uh, in, in midget hockey that year, hmm. probably on the planet. And uh, the Columbus Blazer, like I wasn't even on a team's radar. I, I, I wanted to go to college, I'd said. So they weren't even on my radar, or I wasn't on their radar. And uh, we were losing like 10-1 this night in Calgary. And uh, the Blazer scout, the assistant GM, was there watching. And he, he later told me, I couldn't stop watching him. Like, what? This guy's team is shitty. But, like, for some reason, this guy's just got something about him, the way he competes and all this stuff. So after that game, he talked to my dad. And my dad's like, no, he wants to go to college. And he said, okay. So a couple of weeks later, he brought back the GM and the assistant GM. They watched me again. And they wouldn't be denied this time. So, you know, after the game, they, they called my dad again. And they, I, my dad told me, I'm like, holy shit. So they, they talked to me. And I'm like, you know, do you want to come down? And we know you want to go to college, but you want to come down and just take a visit. So I went down there for when the Oilers or when the, the, the Blazers were playing in junior. I went for a weekend and practiced with them and stuff. And within 30 seconds, I was like, I'm in. This is perfect for me. So I went there. And, you know, we had a young group. Our, our group was uh, Joe McGinley coming in and myself and Jason Hollins, a second rounder, and Luke Witch. He ended up being a fourth rounder. That was the four players that came in that year. And um, it was amazing. That's amazing recruiting class when you think about it. And, <laughs> so, um, and there was already a great group there. And, um, you know, we started out kind of here or there. And my, my start was kind of like that, too. I was in and out of the lineup a bit. And then uh, I remember I went in uh, just before Christmas. The, the GM brought me in and the head coach, Don Hay, and they say, no, how are you doing? I'm like, I think I'm doing okay. They're like, listen, we know you want to be a power play guy, but you're not. When, when you're going to be for our team is a physical, hard-nosed player. And if you want to do that, you're going to help our team a ton to help yourself. So I said, all right. So, you know, I started playing that way and being physical. And I got in the second pairing. And, you know, uh, Joe McGinley kind of found his groove and Shane Doan. And we think just started clicking. And, you know, we, we went on a run. And we, were, we weren't supposed to win the uh, our just the West side, not, not even the Western League. We weren't supposed to win the West side of the Western League. And we won it. Then we beat, uh, I think it was Saskatoon we beat. And then... Went to the Memorial Cup, and Don Hayes said, well, our work's not done here, guys. We, we didn't win anything until we win the Memorial Cup. And, you know, in the two years we went to the Memorial Cup, our whole team, we didn't lose one game in the Memorial Cup. I think we were 8-0. And we were so dialed in, and that team was so good. And, you know, we'd compete in practice. Like, there'd be fights in practice, guys running each other. Like, And so we got into games. We just were unleashing on other teams. Like, we would, we'd work so hard. Shane Doan, Tyson Nash, Ryan Huska, like – there's just Nolan Baumgartner, now assistant coach in Calgary or in, in, in Vancouver. Like so many people have gone on and do more than than just what they're doing now. You know, Keith McCambridge, he's assistant coach in the in the uh, in the Western League. Like so many guys just stayed in hockey and we just loved the game and uh, we love competing. Those two years were unbelievable years. It was I don't think I appreciate it because you're just going through and you're so young and you just I just wanted to play and compete with my buddies. And that's what we did every day in practice and in games. Oh, you did. And you know what? 94-95, when you guys won back-to-back, the team that won before you guys won the back-to-back was the Sioux Greyhounds, obviously. So <laughs> I wanted You to, just had to get that in there, didn't you? I had to throw a little <laughs> plug in there for the Sioux Greyhounds because the last time that they have uh, have won, essentially. But with Kamloops, that team that Brooks already alluded to there, was I had the opportunity to beat Darcy Tucker in Toronto. And uh, when we actually took a picture, he asked if he can have a son in the picture, and his son was awesome, too. But uh, obviously, Jerome McGinley, there's a 
a guy who just had a funny news upload that I'm sure that you've talked about with friends already with a known Boston guy. <laughs> Apparently he's uh, living in Boston, you know, with the snowstorm, which Brooks, I don't know if you had a chance to see that video. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. <laughs> it's hilarious, right? And, you know, this overall group of guys that you'll obviously never forget that you've played with. And I'm kind of stepping on Brooksy's toes with this. But growing up and having the chemistry that you guys did together those couple of years, there, there must be obviously the chemistry off the ice factor. You guys must have done everything together because I was told from a lot of teams that were successful in the kind of their in the season to go to the Memorial Cup and go forward. It wasn't that they were just close on the ice. They were close off the ice as well. Oh, we, I mean, our bus trips, our shortest bus trip was six hours. That was the shortest one. And then our longest were like, you know, going out east to Saskatchewan, Alberta. I mean, we were talking 15, 20 hours. I mean, so you had a lot of time together. And we wouldn't always get buses with movies on them or with, with you know, video players. So I read, I think, every Louis Lemoore book under the stars in my two years of junior hockey. And um, you just you just kind of hung out and talked. You know, we'd play cards a bit, but we'd just have fun and just get to know guys. And, and a lot of those guys, you know, if I, if I see one of them walking down the street, it's like we just saw each other a week ago. We haven't seen each other maybe in 20 years. Like we were really tight group and the coaching was so tight, so dialed in. Um, and, you know, Don Hay just knew how to push us in, in the right way. And he pushed us like they were hard practices and, and hard days. And, you know, we'd work out in the morning, like all this stuff. But I, I learned how to be a pro from him. We all did. And, you know, the, the, the amount of NHL games and pro hockey games that came out of that team is just crazy. I, I think the first year we won the Memorial Cup, I believe 12 or 13 players got drafted. Like, that's crazy when you think about it. And, and everybody else is either in, ineligible or was already drafted pretty much. So it was a crazy year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's part of winning too, right? When you're on a winning team, you know, you might not be the best or a guy that you think would be getting drafted. And then all of a sudden, when you're on that winning team, you know, your name gets called. And uh, it's amazing when you have a group like that, how it just brings everybody along. And that's like part of being a good teammate. And it's it's amazing what, you know, comes from all of that. But I, I think that's what's hard to sell for people now. Now, you know, unfortunately, I think hockey's become much different, especially at the younger ages, right? It's all about me. Well, what's the best team I can yeah. show what I can do? What's, yeah. what, what can I do? And and I try to fight that. And it's it's difficult battle to, to wage you know, oh, and I, sure. I try to tell any young kids that, you know, making a play that sets up a goal is more important than the goal itself. Because without your, you know, back check or your puck takeaway or or defender uh, defending the puck or making a pass, none of that happens without the goal. Now, the goals are hard to score. I get that. It's hard to score. But so many things go in that into it, you know, outside of that. And it's hard to get young players to understand that because it's, they just see the highlight reels of Patrick Kane wheeling through everybody, but they don't see Duncan Key yeah. stopping on someone or Corey Crawford stopping the play or Jonathan Taves winning the faceoff. Well, they don't well think- yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? Also, it's like in our day, you know, we, you know you're only a couple of years older than me. Uh, we grew up in that time where turnovers were so huge. Uh, like if you had a turnover, you could be sitting on the bench no matter who you were. Right. Now I can't um, like the amount of turnovers I see while watching a hockey game. It blows my mind. I'm like, I would have been yelled at for 20 minutes there for right. sure in the dressing room. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's changing. I mean, you know, I, and that's why I wrestle it because my mind is I, I, I think similar to that. You know, like how do we, you know, keep the puck, but, you know, and not give it away. But I think that, you know, I wish I would have had more freedom to try things. You know, pretty young, I was put into this box. 
Um, not not like you know maybe in junior and and I was limited skill wise, but you know if I could have tried a few different things, maybe I would have opened up some different parts of my game. So you want to try for them to understand you have to respect the puck and look after it, but you also don't want to you know curtail their their individualism and their and their creativity. It's a tough it's a tough thing to 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 to, to, uh, to, to fine line to walk. Yeah. Now Brooksy jumping into his time uh, beyond Kamloops, or well, sort of beyond Kamloops. It's well, like, yeah, no, I just wanted to talk about you know your draft day. You know it. You know, did you know that you were going to be with the Islanders, or had you talked to a lot of teams before this, uh, or uh, was it a big surprise uh, headed to the Isle? Yeah, so I was ranked like you know that th- this was a lot different then. There was it was like a mid-season ranking. I think I was ranked like fifth or sixth round, right? So I was like, oh my, that's crazy. Like I never thought I'd ever get drafted in NHL. So, you know, after we won the Memorial Cup, we, we did have a draft uh, combine. We, we flew down to Portland, and with the Portland Winterhawks, we did it together. And, you know, and we were, I'm not going to lie, we were pretty hungover. We just won the Memorial Cup, and we were pretty tired, but we, we did something anyway. And, um, and uh, we, you know, we, we, I didn't go to the draft. My agent's like, I don't think you should go to the draft. It'll be a fifth or sixth rounder, so don't go. I said, okay. So, you know, my captain of that team, Gerald Dooling, he, he called me. Just before the draft, I said, you know, it's gonna, you're going to get drafted. You're, you're a good young player, but I just hope you don't get drafted by the Islanders. They're a bad organization. And he had been drafted by them. So I'm like, okay, you know, what are the odds, man? There's like, whatever, 26 teams. There's like one out of 26 chance. So the drafts, in, I believe, that day, that time was in the, on a Wednesday in Hartford. And I just stayed home. And I, you know, at the time, the hour, couple hour change, I was in my own room. And uh, I was just hanging out. And uh, the phone rang. And my mom came in the room and she's like, uh, it's like eight in the morning and there's a phone call for you. And it was Stu McGregor, the assistant GM of Canada. like, Jay Stretty, you won't believe this, man. I'm at the draft. You just got drafted in the, in the third round. This is, and I'm like, what? He's like, hey, you just got drafted. He's like, hey, good luck. I'm like, hey, thanks, man. And so I hung up. My mom's like, what happened? I said, I think we got, I got drafted in the third round by the Islanders. And then two minutes later, like the Islanders called and they were, you know, excited or whatever. So that day, my, my dad uh, was working. My sister's in school. So we picked her out of school, and my dad came home from work, and we went to Earl's, which is like a restaurant, uh, for a big celebration for lunch. And that was it. You know what? Two weeks later, I got a, a letter uh, a letter from the owners in the mail with a jersey saying, congratulations. Uh, we'll see you at the summer camp. And that was it. And I, I did. I went to Long Island about uh, two weeks later, and that was my NHL draft experience. So it was pretty, pretty understated compared <laughs> to what you see now. I like that. It's, it's weird that you said it was on a Wednesday. You don't see that now. It's on a Friday night, so people are home from work, and they, they well, maybe not now. This year it was all virtual and everything, but it's still on a Wednesday draft. You know that, and to be able to have that experience where you, you were expecting maybe to go later than what you did, that must have just been uh, like you must have been thrilled for yourself, right? Because you know that a team recognized you, uh, and also you went higher than you thought you were. So overall, it it seems like. A a good draft experience nonetheless <laughs> yeah it was a really you know what I, i'm not gonna lie that was the first moment i actually thought i could play in the nhl is when i got drafted um you know even up to it i don't think i had any expectations of being drafted like i don't even think i, th- I thought i would like i i said earlier we were a very very naive hockey family you know my cousins are scott and rob niedemeyer and they were the opposite like they were on a mission like they they were driven and preparing their mom and dad who knew what was going on. Like I had no, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what was going on. Right. Um, like even to back it up a little bit after my last year of midget in, in Edmonton, I would have been just about, just about turn 18. So the, I was invited to the Oilers summer camp. Um, you know, and, and this is before, before the, before my first year in Kamloops. So it was right after midget before my first year in Kamloops, the Oilers invited me, they needed an extra player. So I went, 
So I went and apparently I did well, you know, and um, so the the assistant GM of the Oilers calls my dad and says, you know, we'd like to offer your son a contract. And my dad's like, for what? And they're like, well, we want to sign your son. And my dad's like, what? Like he just played midget hockey. And so um, so um, we had to call my, my uncle, my cousin's dad, like Scott Rob Niedermeyer's dad and said, hey, like, you know, we, we this is what's happening. He's like, well, that's great news. And my dad's like, we have no idea what to do. So he said, well, then call both the boys. Both Scott and Rob each had their own agent. So my dad said, he gets, give me, take the numbers and call these guys and they'll give you advice. So one was Don, Don Mia, and the other one I think was, I don't know if it was Steve Bartlett or someone, it doesn't matter. One, it was like a legit, two legit guys. So my dad calls them both and leaves them messages. And only Don and Mia called back. So my dad and I had a talk with Don and Mia. And he, so he, he became my agent. And we didn't even look around. He just became my agent. And then Donnie called the Oilers and they, they wanted to sign me to a, to a contract. And what's crazy is I could have gone from midget right away into the minors. I could have gone, I could have played in the AHL because I didn't had no junior hockey experience. Um, they, they would have had me go to junior still, but I could have signed before playing a day in junior hockey. If you can imagine that. And, and uh, so I said, no, I'm like, no, nah, we're good. I'm just going to go play junior hockey. And so I did. And um, so that is how naive our family was. And, and, and it was a good decision. Like, and it wasn't, it had nothing to do with what the Oilers. It just, I had no idea what we were doing. And it was a great, you know, going to council was the best thing I could have done. See, and honestly, you know, that's transitioned to this point. I know we, we got a couple other topics we're going to jump into. And this one will transition to our next topic, I think, nicely before your call up with the Islanders. Uh, you obviously... You know, you, you said no to that in midget to jump up, which uh, obviously was smart. You get to go experience everything in Kamloops. And you had some time in the American Hockey League, obviously in Worcester, then in Kentucky, where I'll flat out give another shout out to Sault Ste. Marie here in Kentucky. You play with someone known in Sault Ste. Marie. His name's Ken Belanger. Oh, I'm, sure you remember yeah. him. I'm sure you remember him. And, you know, I know Sault Ste. Marieites know him quite well from a business end and also hockey side. But the AHL overall for you as a player, is that where you knew your role would be? Or did you have kind of the same mentality, the same kind of uh, kind of role going from junior up into the American Hockey League? Were you always the same type of player or did you change into a different player in the American Hockey League before you got the call up to the show? Yeah, so when I played in junior, like I maybe fought 10 times a year, right? Which is sounds like a lot, but like the stick boy had like 12 fights that year. So it wasn't like <laughs> I was really like, So um, I got to junior. I ran to, or I left to first year of pro hockey. I did pretty well in my first training camp uh, because there was a lockout. I didn't go after my draft year. And I go to this training camp and it goes well. Then I get sent down to the minors, no problem. And uh, our coach is Jimmy Roberts. So, you know, he brings me in after like two weeks. He's like, do you want to make the NHL? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm like, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, well, I'll work hard. You know, give all the same lame answers. And he's like, bullshit. If you want to do it, you got to play tough. You got to learn to fight. I'm like, what? He's like, you got to learn how to fight, son. I'm like, oh, God. So I knew he was right because I wanted I like I like playing hard, but I didn't really know how to fight. So that year I fought 23 times. And my record is 0-22-1. I beat up a little hobbit, uh, this guy. I didn't beat him up. We beat each other up. And uh, the other times, I, I had a black eye almost the whole season. So I was trying to get stronger, learning how to fight, and learning how to be a pro. It was a tough year. You know, I, I sat a few games out. I was injured. I sprained my ankle. Um, it was tough. But, I mean, I, I learned that, like, if I was going to play my way, I had to be strong. But I also had to get quicker. I had to work on my hands and all that stuff. But I learned how to fight. The second year, I go back to, to, to um, the AHL. We're in Kentucky, an awesome place. 
And, you know, a little bit bigger role for me. Um, you know, I'd, I'd kind of learned by fight by now and I was starting to win some of my fights, but I was still working on my game. You know, I was still getting stronger, getting faster, working on my skills. And that year I ran into a guy named um, Vit- uh, Vasily Tikhanov. He was Victor Tikhanov's son. And uh, he was our defenseman coach. And he said, Strutty, if you, I'll work with you every day, every day, you know, before and after practice, if you'll, if you'll, you know, commit to it. I said, I'll work on it. So he and I did it before and after every practice. We'd work on like little, like Russian, you know, those Russian drills the guys see all the time now. He and I yeah. were doing it. And I improved so much. But I didn't, you know, there was like Jason Holland was there. Zdeno Char was there. You know, so I wasn't getting a lot, or maybe he wasn't there the first year. He was there the second year. But there was other guys that were higher up the priority list than me. But I just kept going. So now my third year, I go back, and now Vasily and I, he's like, Strutty, you're so close. You're so close. And we worked even longer together and tighter. And it paid off. You know, eventually, if you put the time in, it pays off. And that year at Christmas, I got called up, and I never got sent down again. And, um, you know, it was just, it was, you know, by by that third year, I was I was able to fight. I was a, a physical presence in that league. I could make plays. I could kill penalties. You know, I could play against other teams' top lines. Like, in those two and a half years, I changed so much. But I had the right attitude where I just went in and, yeah, nothing's going to be given to me. I'm going to work and I'm going to climb up the depth chart and I'm going to, like, push my way into the league. And when I got to the NHL, I knew I had to fight. And I'm like, no problem. Like, shit, I've been fighting for free in the minors. I may as well fight for way more in the NHL. And I, <laughs> yeah, I got, way more, way more. 100% I put, it opened the door for me. And then I established myself as, like, a decent penalty killer and a, a, a defender. And um, that was my way in. You know, and I, I – I, you know, I don't regret any decisions I made. You know, I knew what I was getting to in fighting, but it, you, 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 you made, I made the choice and uh, it was the right choice. And, um, you know, now, I, like I said, it, it's been an amazing run. But uh, it's amazing. We've talked about it so many times on the show, uh, you know, knowing your role, like how guys like yourself say you didn't move into that role. You might not have been able to get that opportunity because, you know, that's the role that you were made for and that's what they wanted you to do. And that's how you had to get there. But there's so many guys that I played with and probably you played with that just, you know, didn't find the role to play that they knew that they needed to make the NHL, that they just just couldn't find a way to just get that in their mind that, OK, I'm going to stick to just this, you know. And, and I think that uh, that's such a huge thing to do is yourself knowing that that was your role. Well, and that's that's the hard part is you have to let go of who you think you are. Because there's already 700 people that are just like you. And honestly, they've been doing it better for longer. So when I went in there, like I, you know, you, you figure out, okay, what, what am I good at? Well, I'm big and strong. Okay, I'm going to push people around and intimidate. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't a pure fighter. Like I fought, but I, I was never, I never considered myself a pure fighter. But I, I, I wanted to have that as a skill. Like I added that skill, just like guys work on their forehand, backhand shelf. Like that's what I worked on. And I remember some of my buddies like, you're crazy. I'm like, I'm not. Like, this is going to work out. And then it gets your foot in the door. Then you can work your way up the lineup. And you're right, though. Like, some guys, you know, they, you get drafted in the second rounder and you scored 40 goals in junior. Like, no one cares. You know what? Are you going to knock out, uh, you know, like, uh, like Vladi Tarasov in St. Louis? Are they going to be like, holy shit, we've got this guy. He scored 40 goals in Sault Ste. Marie. we got to get get to, you know uh tarasenko out of there we got to put this guy in. like it doesn't work like that you might have to start in the fourth line or third line being an energy guy but then you're on the team and then all of a sudden you know tarasenko gets hurt guess who gets to play in that spot and that's where guys don't think they're like i'm a second line right winger well you're not you know for now you can just get on the team and then you can work your way up because if you if you're on the team you'll get chances they're not going to call a guy up from the minors that has 10 goals and you know 20 ahl games when they have a guy that they think can do it there so 
that's the challenge. And it's, it's part of the problem is guys' egos get in the way. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially nowadays. It's so bad. Yeah. Like, and obviously you, we, we talked about, you know, you had the chance up with the Islanders and everything of such, but then on March 23rd, 1998, you got traded to the Vancouver Canucks. And I, I got that trade exact date from history of NHL trades and NHL trade tracker, uh, com. So just so you know, I'm not a full whiz with stats. Uh, so <laughs> you, you got traded to one of the rival teams to the, uh, to the Oilers actually is besides the flames, obviously. Uh, so you get traded to Vancouver and you got traded for a guy named Gino Ojek, I believe is how you say it. Gino Ojek, come on, Ojek, come on there, young fella. And he has over 20, he had a lot of penalty minutes, let's just say as a player. Like, I think he obviously loved to be in the box a lot and drop the mitts. But anyways, you get traded from the Islanders from where you started your career. And, you know, obviously that's who drafted you. And everyone has those stories where they like to stay where you drafted. But you played, I think it was about 18 or so games before you got traded to Vancouver. And then you spent a good amount of years in Vancouver. Did you know that that was coming, that trade? Or did you just get a phone call saying, yep, you got dealt? No, Mike Milbury is the GM. And this guy is absolute. <laughs> he, I don't know. He's just, a, a, I don't know. I don't have a lot of, yeah, I don't have a lot of bad things about him, anybody, but Mike Milbury, I have nothing nice to say about him. So he, you know, about two weeks before I got traded, you know, he said, I was wrong about you, Strider. You could be uh, here for a long time. I want to sign you extension. You're going to be a leader for us. Then two weeks later, he trades me. And I honestly, when I got that call, I was so happy. I'm like, thank God. Get me out of this place. And, um, you know, and, and it, it was, it wasn't the city. It wasn't the teammates. It was just Mike. It was, it, it was, he, he just, it just wasn't a, a positive environment to be in. And so I went, um, I went to Vancouver and I was so happy. And Mike Keeney was there and he wasn't exactly easy to live with, but, you know, he understood how I had to play and he played me and, um, you know, he, he, he liked me. Then Brian Burke came in and uh, Brian Burke, after my first year with him, he said, you know what, I was going to trade you, but you show me that you're actually a player and I'm, I'm so happy I kept you. And then they signed me to a three-year contract. So like there was, you know, it's so funny how things go and I had no idea that trade was coming, but it ended up being the perfect place for me. You know, I was, I was close to Edmonton. I'm from here, but I wasn't in Edmonton which I think would have been bad as, to have that set up. Um, you know, we had a, I had a great experience in Vancouver. Mark Crawford came in. He knew how to play, and he pushed me to be a, a better player and be a different type of player, and it was, it was such a positive experience uh, going there. Pavel Bure and Mark Messi, Alex McGillney, Marcus Nasland. Okay, this is a type of team that you make on NHL 94 for for PS1 or Sega kind of thing. Okay, like that that is quite the roster of players. And obviously, when you were there, there was other players you had the opportunity to play with. I like got Jovanovski, the Sedins, and just the list goes on. In the city of Vancouver, okay, every city in Canada actually deserves the credit for this, but Vancouver is quite the passionate hockey community and i have some relatives that live in vancouver and they were a part of the stanley cup finals when they lost to boston but they weren't involved in the riots i'll flat out say that uh but it's quite the passionate hockey community right and there's a you must have some you know some good memories with certain players that really stand out in vancouver and i also know there's one memory that really sticks out in my mind uh it's since you brought up shane doan and yourself as teammates you ended up fighting saint shane doan when you were on vancouver if i remember correctly yeah i did you know it's funny we, we we were like i said it goes back to those junior days and we were so competitive and he just came off the bench and wanted to fight me i'm like what the hell so i was pissed off i'm like are you kidding me so i'm like yeah let's fight and um so after the game we were laughing about it. i'm like why did you do that he's like well jim schoenfeld is our coach and there was him and another guy on the on the bench the young two young players and he came down to me and said listen 
You guys are going to be playing against that strategy for 10 years. So you want to be better step up to him now or he's going to run your show forever. And uh, Brad Isbister was the other guy. So donor said he just came out. He just fought me right away. So I was so mad. Like, why is this guy fighting? He's my friend. And we had a, a pretty good fight, actually. Um, but, you know, being in Vancouver, like you mentioned all those guys, I got a chance to, like Burry and McGillney and Messier and, you know, Naz and, uh, and I talked to him quite a bit still. Brendan Morris and Todd Bertuzzi and I were roommates on the road for four years. Like we had so much fun together. And I, I you know, I, 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 I in the end, they, they let me go. And, you know, I, I could have stayed, but I wanted an opportunity to get to play somewhere a little more. Um, you know, and I, I don't regret leaving because, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, growth. But, yeah, they were they were it was a great organization, great people. And I I, lo- I absolutely loved my time in Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver is such a beautiful city too in Canada. Obviously, it's an expensive place to live if you live there, but overall, it's just a beautiful city. And there's another fan base we can jump into that's starving. But it seems like a lot of Canadian teams are starving for that extra success to get the cup. Now, a couple of the teams I want to get to before I know Brooksy has one thing he wants to bring up in particular with your career before we wrap up everything is I want to jump into the Rangers, and I didn't get the opportunity to fully see if this if you were a part of this or not. I think you were. But when you had your time with the Rangers after Vancouver, uh, you were there. Like, you're in between that. You were with Chicago, obviously. So you spent a couple years in Chicago. Uh, and a guy that I got to know, actually, when I was a bit younger, uh, as a uh, just through some connection to Sue when he played for Toronto, was Steve Sullivan, just a leadership guy all in all. And one guy, though, I, want, I wanted to skip Chicago, and no offense to Chicago, but I want to jump into New York for a second. And it's with Merrick Malik. Were you not? Were you there for that shootout goal? Were you on the bench, or were you a part of the team at that time that he did the through the legs on Kolzik? Yeah, it's actually pretty crazy. I was actually, I actually scored right before he scored. Um, so it's it's amazing. Like this this whole moment, you know, this is before that. You know, this just started that year, the first year of the shootout. And generally, what would happen in overtime, I'd get one shift. So it'd be five shifts in overtime. I'd get the third shift, and I wouldn't play again. I'd undo my skates because I knew I wasn't going back out. So I'm sitting on the bench, you know, the, the shootout starting. There's Olaf Kolzig and, and um, uh, Henrik Lundqvist in the net for us. And so, you know, you, you send out your players, and I think everyone scored one in the first three. Then you kind of keep going, and I think some scored around seven. But the problem with the shootout is that the goalies still stay awesome, but the players get worse and worse, right? They get shittier as you go along. <laughs> so around the eighth shooter, the trainer comes over, because you know what I li- li- undo my skates? Like, you better do your skates up, man. You might shoot him. Like, there's no way. So I'll see get to 9, 10. I'm doing my skates up. I mean, there's some shitty players going out there trying to score. In good <laughs> and there's, there's no way we're going to score. So now you get to 11, 12. I'm like, holy, sh- I'm, sh- I'm scrapping my pants. Like, this is awful. And he gets then finally they send a guy out, Brian Muir. I think it was the 14th round, 13th or 14th. I think it was the 14th, but he scores for Washington. So now there's there's I think there's three people left on the bench: me, Merrick Malik, Darius Kasparitis, and this <laughs> Russian player who um, had broken his finger, Fedor Tutin. That's it, just the four of us. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my god, like please. So Tutin can't go. It has to be either me, Kasparitis, who had like you know he had oven mitts under his gloves, his hands were bad, and Merrick Malik. So uh, Tom Rennie looks down. He's like, Struddy, you're up. And I just pretended I didn't hear him. He's like, Struddy, you're up. I'm like, oh, shit. So I jump over, and I'm flipping my stick around, trying to act like I know what I'm doing, but I'm so scared. My heart's banging through my chest. It's at MSG, the coolest building in the NHL, and I'm shooting on old Kolzik. So I go down there, and I, I, I was thinking, I'm going to go shelf on this guy. <laughs> and I shot it under his arm in a little hole, and I, I scored. I, was, I wasn't even happy. I was just relieved because I didn't want to be the loser. They didn't score to keep this thing going. And, and our, my teammates had to run back. They were in the dressing room already. They're in the dressing room. 
they're running back to, to give me a high five. And it was it's a crazy, crazy chain events. And American League goes and does that move through the legs and top shelf. It was just nuts. And the next night, we were invited to go to the Knicks game, he and I with our wives. Um, and we got to sit courtside. And they played this again. And people were cheering us and going crazy. We're like, what the hell is going on? You know, like it was really cool for two guys that aren't offensively minded. It was pretty cool, pretty cool moment for both of us. Did he say he was going to do that? Or did he just do it? That's one thing I, I never got to know. I never seen him do that in practice, like never. <laughs> so I don't know. I, don't, I think he blacked out. He was like Frank the Tank and just blacked out. <laughs> I love that. You know, honestly, that is the most. I was actually watching that game, so I actually apologize that I missed your goal. <laughs> Obviously, I got too occupied <laughs> with Merrick Malik through the legs over Colzig, which is just a, If you if you replay the top shootout moments, that will continue to always be played. But I know a lot of people aren't fans of shootouts, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of against it as the time goes on. I love the three on three action, but you know, seeing those types of goals, that's what's awesome. They look at Datsuki and type of goals those are wicked but to see Malik pull that off through the legs and you just score to keep it going you created something that caused a big course in history you know that 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 we'll go with that with that so it's it's great yeah. to see, uh with what what he did it was obviously very entertaining entertaining i remember watching in my base uh, my parents basement and just going i think i dropped the the drink that i was having uh, at the time i'm not going to state what i was drinking because i was obviously uh, i don't know what it was i was quite i was only 14 so i was probably drinking chocolate milk or something at the time but i was literally just absolutely floored about what i saw but obviously your time in new york obviously that happens and another team i want to jump into uh, we already talked about the Oilers, but I know there's some familiarity, Brooksy, and I kind of want to jump you in on this, uh, between a coach that you had. I know you obviously brought up Messi already that you got to have in the Spangler, but there's another connection that you uh, and Jay have with a particular coach. Well, yeah, no, it was just, you know, where you it must have been great to go back to Edmonton to, you know, finish your career in your hometown. But, uh, you know, I had Craig McTavish as well as a coach. And that was another oh, yeah. guy I was amazed with how humble he was. And, uh, you know, I had him the, I had him my first year at the Spangler Cup. So, you know, we were very fortunate to have an amazing NHL Edmonton Oilers legend be our coaches. Uh, at the Spangler so uh, it was great and uh, I'm just I just thought it was uh, such a cool thing to uh, have these guys come in and uh, did you find that he was like that when you had him in the NHL was he pretty calm cool collective or what, did he snap or what how was he no he was great you know I'd, I'd say with Mac T I, I thought by the time I got here he was kind of burned out you know <laughs> it was a difficult market it was um, it's a lot it's a, like being an NHL coach for that long is tough. And I thought he was a little bit burned out, but I loved him. Like he, he was so good to me and just calmed the group. I thought he managed a group pretty well. We had some unique personalities. So he did, he did a really good job. Um, and he, you know, I wish I would have had him earlier in both our careers. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you had Pat Quinn there too, as a coach. And obviously as a, a flat out say, I say it numerous times on the show, taking my host hat off here for a second, uh, being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, Pat Quinn, the favorite coach of all time, obviously not Mike Babcock, but we're not going to jump into that kind of discussion right now. Uh, Brooksy, going back to you, I know you uh, had another connection to bring up uh, with hockey, just not in the NHL. Well, I just want to know, you know, what was your decision? Besides, I know you went over for the first time for the lockout there. I'm pretty sure in 2004 was it three four or four five? For yeah, sure. uh, yeah, you headed over to Hungary. You know what? How did that choice come about during the lockout? Because I know a lot of the guys came down to the AHL where I was happened to be playing at the time, and uh, I was just curious. You know how how did you end up going to Hungary, and uh, what was that decision, and how did you make it? 
Yeah, you know what? I, 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 um, my cousin Rob and I wanted to play together. You know, and and you know, he he was a lot better player than I. So they, you know, they were pretty selective on who they wanted to take. And so we said, if there's no one, if we, if it looks like the league is going to go after Christmas, we'll find a place. Try to find a place together. Didn't matter where. So Monday, I was on the NHLPA website, and also looked up, said, "Are you interested in playing Hungary?" And I'm like, "I sure am." So I clicked <laughs> on it, said, "We're looking for a forward and D." So I called my cousin. He's like, "I'm down. Just t- if you can organize it, do it." So sure. So we, I went. I called the guy, the guy in Toronto, and uh, the guy in Toronto called the Hungarians. They're like, "Strudwick, Neymar will take him." So we got paid, I think, nine grand each uh, to go. But we got like a hotel. We got uh, three restaurants we could eat at. We had our own car. And I'll tell you what, it was some of the funnest times my cousin and I ever had. We just loved it. We were leaving in Budapest, Hungary for two months. And, um, you know, we just had a great time. And, and the, the fans were passionate about hockey. The, the hockey was fairly weak. But, um, you know, I, we didn't care. We just wanted to kind of practice and skate around and just change things up. You know, being a year at home would have been way too long, um, you know, with no hockey. So this, you know, we got away and, you know, we worked out a little bit here and there, but mostly we just practiced with the guys and we loved it. Yeah. It was like a vacation for you, a little vacation and, and still getting yeah. on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's great. I got to go to Budapest. I played at the, the world championships. They held okay. there uh, would have been about four years ago in the group one a, and oh, yeah. uh, it was, it was amazing city. You know, I couldn't get over actually how beautiful it was. Oh, it's amazing, and the people are so great there. Absolutely incredible. Oh, they're they're spectacular. Yeah. There's a lot of stories with overseas, though, eh, Brooksy, with people oh, going. Oh yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> spot. You know, I'm glad you got to experience it because you know I think everybody, if they have the opportunity to do it, it it's really worth it. And uh, and then you also got to go to Switzerland and uh, Lugano. What a beautiful place that place is. Yeah, I know that year was kind of interesting. I had a contract. I just had my best year in the NHL with the Rangers, and the Islanders wanted to sign with Neil Smith as a GM. And so we agreed to it. I told other teams I, I was going to sign with Islanders. And then so they moved on and signed their Strudwicks. And then Neil Smith got fired. And I had nothing. I'm like, what? They're like, no, we don't want to sign you. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I had I went from having a two or three year deal with Islanders to nothing now. And and so I, I like there was nowhere to go. Everyone already signed their players. I didn't want to play in the HL. I, you know, I was getting older. So my agent, I said, just find me anywhere to play. So he found Lugano. And uh, I went out there and played. I know I like I don't care where it is. I'll go. And I went. And my wife came over with me. And it was honestly one of my favorite years of my life with with my wife. And the hockey was amazing. We had so much fun. It was just a great place. And um, I you know I became back a better player than I left because at the end of that year I signed again to Rangers for their playoff run. And uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic year. Uh, definitely and this is a lot of great tales that you had as a player obviously it's been dave mckaig brendan brooks and our special edition guest jason strudwick aka the studwick that i'm still <laughs> uh on now going to our conclusion portion here now this is one thing that honestly i'll flat out say that i was kind of going to bring up to you off air so i kind of i don't mind if you had to take a, a pause to be like hey give me a second to think of the story but myself and brooksy ask bonus question each before we officially wrap up the show usually it's like a one-word answer mine probably won't be because i'm never honest with saying it's a one-word answer turns to a paragraph uh so my question to you before going to brooksy is because everyone rates brooksy's question better than mine all the time so it's obviously uh, me going first the question that i had for you the bonus question if you will i want to i want to bring out something that what's your funniest yet most appropriate story that you would want to tell or memory that you have about one particular teammate that could be junior level professional level and we all know the locker room and hockey 
life is left with teammates and sacred. But for the sake of putting you on the spot, one funny tale that would get our listeners laughing that you could think of on the spot. Well, I'll give you a two for one. So uh, when we drafted the Sedins in Vancouver, they didn't come over the next year. But the following year, we had a lot of Swedes on our team. We decided we'd go have training camp in Sweden, in Stockholm. So the whole team, we we'd only take like 22, 23 players. Basically had the team made and we fly over to Switzerland or Sweden and we meet the Sedins there. And these two chubby little guys come out and uh, they're so nice. So, I, you know, I, at first I couldn't tell who they were, but the whole way I couldn't stop thinking of that song by Elton John, Daniel, you know, Daniel, my brother. And <laughs> this whole song. so the first day in the dressing room with them there, I think Daniel's in my dressing room. So I started playing this song by Elton John over and over and over again because it's so funny. It talks about how he's waving goodbye to his brother. And we started saying, like, what if only one of you makes a team and the other one doesn't? You know, like, what are you guys going to do if, if, like, Daniel makes it or Henrik, you make it, and the other one has to stay home and play in Sweden? And they were just like, we were, the guys in the room were dying. We were crying so hard at this idea that this would happen, right? But obviously it was never going to happen. They were always a package deal. But those two guys, they were so funny. And they, they were like, okay, guys, enough. Enough of this. We can't even do this. Like, we, the way they talk, it was so great. And those two guys were such great guys, just amazing people. Love that. That's a good story. <laughs> that is a good one. That is a good one. That's you awesome. kind of stole my – that was kind of my question that I've had before on the – you know, just to say. You know, you, you're kind of stealing my questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, actually, those two guys lived in my same building, too, when I lived in Vancouver. And Daniel, I was always on them about getting in shape, right? Because they were kind of chubby. You know, a lot of young players at that time coming in, they weren't in NHL shape. And I would tell them, don't eat ice cream. So there's a real good ice cream shop right underneath our building. So one day I come walking out the front door of our apartment, and who comes walking around the corner? Daniel Sedin and his girlfriend. And they both have ice cream. And it means anything. I just looked at him, he's like, ah, fuck. And he just takes the ice cream <laughs> in the garbage. He was so mad. His girlfriend was crying. She was laughing so hard about, like, he, this guy, you know, I eat the ice cream in front of me. <laughs> he's trying to see the ice cream because he could do it bug. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, so my yeah my question today is uh, I'm just curious you know was there someone a coach or a person that really had the biggest influence you know on your career and kind of helped shape you into who you were was there a coach or a, someone that just really had your back and uh, that you felt and you and you knew you would do anything for him just because of the support he, he had given you could be yeah. anybody. Yeah, Don, like for coaches, Don Hay for sure. I mean, he just understood how to play and he pushed me and he he let me grow and um, he, he put me in a leadership, you know, position. Um, and he, he asked me to do so many things that I didn't even know I was capable of, right? And, I, and and a lot of times I didn't even know I was supposed to do. He would just get me to do it and I would do it. He was amazing. The other one was a silly taken off. I mentioned him, but without his work with me for that year and a half, working on my my skills, um, that I, I didn't know, like there weren't skilled coaches then, like no one was like, Hey, do this. Like we just do skate circles and stuff, you know? And the time I put in with him was so important and it got me going in so many different directions. And, uh, the, a lot of those skills and drills I worked with him for the year and a half, I did them till my last game, literally in the NHL at 35. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time with him. 
See, that's always there's a lot of people that you get influenced in the world of hockey as you grow, but there's always that one or two or a couple people that really stick out, and it's you know it kind of shaped out who you were going to turn in, like who you turn into as a not only just as a hockey player, but just overall NHL professional. Now outside of that, the people that you were around that influenced you, uh, obviously you know it's the NHL and the world of hockey in general, such a huge community. And I think right now, now that we're getting to wrap up everything here, I know right at the top we talked about you know broadcasting and everything and there's so many people that are giving back like yourself and uh, the whole hockey community is coming closer together I think than ever because of the world of social media to an extent despite everything that's going on in the world currently and everything that's changed the world but it's such a great community overall and there's a lot of influences that have been great to the game of hockey so obviously Brooksy I talked to you enough so I'll say thank you to you and that's all without getting to talk (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to say uh, Jay or Stud if you will, uh, I want to, <laughs> I want to say thank you very much uh, for taking the time for answering the cable guy over here and it's, <laughs> and taking the time to come uh, tell your tales and obviously give your story about background and broadcasting and all the fun stuff here on the Game Sports Show. Awesome guys, anytime man. I'm glad it worked out. Awesome, Brooksy. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. It's nice to meet you and uh, you know. I'll be a little bit more respectful and call you the night train since that's the, the <laughs> one that you need. Uh, but, uh, but thank you so much. And I wish you uh, all the success with your podcast and uh, uh, hopefully we can stay in touch here. Sounds great guys. Awesome. And again, you can check that out uh, obviously with Jason and Jason Gregor and e- uh, Edmonton TSN 1260. It's uh, fantastic to check out if you have not checked it out already, which I'd be very surprised if you have not. Now, once again, thank you to Jason Strudwick and also to Brandon Brooks, but also to you, uh, the listeners, for taking the time to tune in. And of course, make sure you hit like, follow, and subscribe on all the platforms of the game. And Jim, I must remind you, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Podbean, Podtail, Facebook, and Instagram. And of course, our website, thegamesportshow.com. And now getting to the wrap-up point, I would like to remind you to keep your stick on the ice, swing your bats, catch your touchdowns, drain your threes, and shoot your shots. Booyah.